Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Morning, everybody. If you're new, my name is Greg, and I've got the privilege of being one of the pastors of Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, soon to be Foundation Church. Pre-announcement, whether we're going to be Foundation Church, Foundation Christian Church, Foundation Community Church, or Foundation Church of the Blessed Redeemer of the Virgin Mary across from the, the Leatherbees. That, that, that uh, if we have your email, and if you've been a, a member of our church for at least six months, that's already in your inbox, and you might have voted this week through email. We're going to do a physical vote at the end of service today. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're preaching uh, right now. We're doing some Bible teaching about marriage. This is not just an institution that is culturally being assaulted. That's kind of what it looks like from the outside if we look with man's eyes. If we look with God's eyes, it's human beings just not interested in what God said. It's entirely spiritual. We're not interested in what God said about marriage because we're not interested in the purpose of marriage. If you recall week one, if you were with us, Christian marriage is designed to illustrate Christ's love for the church. So if I don't love Christ, why would I be interested in in that image, right? You don't sell Amway if you don't like Amway products, right? So the cultural disintegration of marriage really just has to do with whether or not we love and honor God. And it should not surprise Christians that marriage disintegrates because it's all about the glory of God in the first place. This week, our fourth installment, The Eight Cow Bride. I know you just woke up this morning going, man, I I really hope Pastor Greg preaches about cows. And I really hope that he relates cows somehow to my wife, because that won't be offensive in the least. Um, But we're not telling that story till later, so you're going to have to wait with bated breath. First, oops, I messed up this slide, but that's okay. We need to start today. We're going to be in Proverbs 31. So um, I didn't type the... Whoever has a page number in the hardback for where Proverbs 31 is, would you please shout it out unless I got it into the sermon notes. I don't have it here. We're going to be in Proverbs 31. But before... Oops. Before we get to Proverbs 31, um, we need to read the Bible left to right, like every book, right? Left to right. There are things on the left side of the book that are our history. They're our past, and they affect... They give context to what we're going to be discussing. Shortly after God creates the world, humanity joins a rebellion with Satan against God and says, we are smarter than God. We want to be like him. We want to be knowledgeable of all things. We want to be powerful. And the relationship between God and man is broken. And death and suffering enter the world. And take a look at this one piece that God says to the woman after human rebellion, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. No one's shocked. None of the ladies who've given birth are shocked at that one, right? But this second part doesn't get enough attention. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Huh? Every drop of third-wave feminism fighting against chauvinism, all of it was thousands of years ago predicted. God just told us 
if you divorce me, your beautiful dance of the man and the woman complimenting me together, there's something broken in it. You will desire to rule over him, but his natural physical strength, which wasn't a factor a moment ago because he wasn't a sinner a moment ago. How many of you guys know that you're safe in a relationship if one is much physically stronger than the other, but there's no sin? You're safe. Every filthy thing we've unleashed in our world, every filthy thing that fills prisons with who? Men, right? Men are the ones in prisons. It all got unleashed and God was telling you, look what you just did. So Christian marriage, everything that God is going to say about a relationship between a man and a woman who are in covenant with each other, is going to be working to rebuild, to redeem, and to make beautiful something that we broke. Are you with me so far? We broke it, and God is going to fix it because he's merciful. So that's the context of Proverbs 31. Thank you, sir. Page 549, the Holy Spirit is teaching us through a king of Israel about the value and the preciousness of finding a godly wife. And although I'm basically going to be preaching on verses 10 through 18 today, would you look with me at verse 1? This is amazing. Verse 1, let's start there. The sayings of King King Lemuel contain this message, which his mother taught him. Is that important? Because when we get to verse 10, we're going to hear, this is what a virtuous woman looks like, specifically a wife. This is what a great wife looks like. Ladies, would you be a little bit scared if a dude was telling another dude, this is what a great wife looks like, and that's the only thing that gets put into the Bible? Some fellas in the locker room deciding what the perfect woman is? You have a problem? Stepford wives, anybody? See that? Anyway, okay. We, by the mercy of Jesus Christ, we are he- about to hear what a godly woman says a godly woman looks like. This isn't from King Lemuel. This is from his mama. And that's good news. That's good news to the ladies. Because us guys, man, we just two plus two and it just somehow doesn't equal four. And A godly woman is about to tell us what a godly woman looks like. Jump down with me and let's read verses 10 through 18 together. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. Ladies, how's your flax doing? You got your flax? Just checking, just checking. She is like a merchant's ship, bringing her food from afar. 
She gets up before dawn because her kids woke her up to prepare breakfast for her household. It's, it's in the Hebrew. Check it. Look it later. Um, and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us the word of God this morning? God, we're bringing cultural assumptions right now. We're terrified about when this woman gets a day off. Um, Lord, those of us in the room, the sisters in the room might be afraid of an unbelievable burden that's been put onto them in the past by the teaching of this text, or maybe even by what the enemy has whispered into her heart for years. Lord, the, the fellas in the room, we might be tempted to think this text is not about us and we're wrong. So God, whatever junk we are bringing to the text right now, we ask your Holy Spirit to smash it, to work around it, to implant truth deep inside us in a way that makes us respond with joy and with obedience. God, help every heart here today see your good provision for us and how you designed the man and the woman to work together to glorify you and to bless the world. Lord, we need your teaching. We need your leadership right now. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Treasure your wife because she's priceless. Treasure her. Did you see verse one? Her opening statement to her son about the kind of wife she wants her son to look for. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? So it's rhetorical. She's findable, but she is more rare, more precious than rubies. Treasure her because she is priceless. Christian men, Fellas who would like to be married one day, maybe guys who've been married and you're looking back and processing what your marriage was like. Ask yourself, do my words, thoughts, and actions, or did they, if it was in the past, do they show that my wife is cherished second only to Christ? I know that sounds almost like superlative, but I believe the Bible endorses it. Do my words let everybody know that if there's a fight, if there's a contest for my time and attention and affection and loyalty, there's a contest between A, X, Y, Z, doesn't matter who or what, and my wife, there won't even be a fight. Does everyone know that from the way that I think? Does everybody know that from my actions. More specifically, does my wife know that? Does God know that? I think it's pretty obvious in the text. I think part of the reason that God said to Abraham, climb up a mountain and give me your son is because God knew Abraham would do it. Christian men, will you forsake all else 
for your wife? If it's between your wife and your career and they come head to head, do you know what to do? If it's between your wife and your child, do you know what to do? Nobody wants these huge core values to collide, but can somebody testify, throw a hand up, that your core values collide from time to time? Christian men, if your wife and your dreams for the future collide, do you know what to do? Because you've grown up in a culture telling you that you're a snowflake and you're special and you can have everything you want if you just dream it, you can achieve it. And that places inside my heart this temptation to believe I'm entitled to achieving my dreams. What if God's dreams for me come through my wife? What if God is wise enough and loving enough that maybe I choose my wife today in the heat of the moment when I'm on Mariah and maybe he adds that into my life later. This is, do I trust my savior? Does everything about my behavior show that I cherish my wife? Decade ago, had some friends over, we were hanging out and on our coffee table was not only coffee, but a few iPhones and my Bible. And a cup of coffee spilled. And a couple of my friends dove in for their iPhones to protect them. I dove in to get my Bible. Now, before you too quickly go, oh, Pastor Greg is so holy. There are a couple of pieces of information I haven't told you. Number one, I really, really, really liked that Bible and it had really cool notes and I had just got, I think, if I've got the story straight. So it was in my short-term memory, my recent affections of how much I really liked this Bible. Number two, Pastor Greg had an OtterBox on his iPhone. So I was not worried. I knew my phone was waterproof, which theoretically means coffee-proof. So I dove in after my Bible and I looked like a really religious pastor, even though I wasn't. Your core values show themselves when you have one-third of a second to decide. Do you know that? What comes out of you in the heat of the moment? If you get cut, what do you bleed? It's just in you. A coffee spill, what do you reach for? When things go sideways... Do you run to protect your kids? Do you run to protect your dreams? Do you run to protect your career? Do you run to protect your wealth? Do you run to protect your wife? In an ideal situation, God allows a Christian man to protect everything under his stewardship. But if there was a collision, fellas, do you know what to do? Young men who are not married yet, you've never been married. There will be collisions. And I'm asking you right now, some of you are teenagers, I'm asking you now to make a commitment inside your soul that 
Nobody, nobody comes anywhere near your wife in value. Don't even think about it. Don't take time to pray about it. The irony, and I know especially if you're young and unmarried, this is just way ahead of what you can ponder right now. The irony of when our children and our wife, when that becomes a collision, is that our child more than anything, our kids need the marriage to be the foundation of the family. My kids need me to put them in their place from time to time and choose mama. They need that desperately. Second, trust your wife because she has good character. Look at verse 11 again. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. Is that cool or what? Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. I don't think those two statements are put together by accident. Christian man who's married, Christian man who hopes to be married one day, there's a relationship between the blessing of a wife and trusting her. In 1989, ask yourself this question, do I make big decisions without my wife? There are so many things throughout this text about her being capable and wise and loves God and trustworthy. Do I make big decisions without my wife? Is this the Greg show and Emily has just kind of come along for the ride? It's not good. Because we already took a look at at Genesis 1. Male and female, he created them. The definition of humanity is in two halves. In, I believe, 1989, Pastor Tim Keller, if you were part of this church two years ago, we had Tim and Kathy Keller's marriage book at the back when we preached on marriage two years ago. Um, Tim and Kathy had, the office, specifically Tim, had a couple of different job offers to pastor a church in Manhattan or pastor a church, I believe, in New Jersey. And they had talked and prayed and thought about it, and talked, and prayed. And they could not figure out what to do, but there were these two churches that were waiting for an answer, so they felt the pressure of time to come to a decision, but they couldn't agree, because it wasn't just, uh, I think I've mischaracterized it, it wasn't that they couldn't figure out what to do, it's that he wanted to go to New York, and she wanted to go to the church in New Jersey. Okay? Okay? I know you've never, ever had this happen in your marriage. But it happened. They talked and talked and talked, but they were not on the same page. They were not in agreement. And they tell the story at the beginning of that book, if you read it, where Tim throws up his hands and says, fine, we'll go to New Jersey. 
And Kathy whips around and she's sitting shotgun and put, sticks her finger in his face and says, oh no, you don't. You're the spiritual leader of this house and we do not have agreement. We are doing what you believe we should do and you will be held accountable for that decision before the Lord. <laughs> Brothers, side note, this isn't in the notes. You want a godly woman who knows her scriptures, but don't think that won't come at a price from time to time. <laughs> okay. To somebody who has no background in church, they're shocked by the part of the story where she says, no, if we can't find agreement on an important spiritual issue, we're going to go with what you have the conviction and you're going to stand in front of Jesus for that decision. That's the part that surprises you if you've never been around the Bible. Some of us that grew up in church, we needed to hear the first part. A godly married couple had been talking and praying for over a month, trying to reach agreement. Fellas, did you hear that? You don't have an opportunity presented at 1.32 p.m., come to a conviction by 1.35 p.m., and by 1.44, shoot your wife a text as the decision you made. That's not how it works. There's no unity there. There's no mutual submission there, which we've been talking about for a couple weeks. There's no laying down your life for her there. That's just all gone. She has the same Holy Spirit you have. She has a brain, you have a brain. She has experiences, you have experiences. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone, but we're still trying to make decisions like it's really good for man to be alone. Right? And he, Tim Keller, could not argue with his wife's doctrine. And they had to make a decision. So he chose New York. And God was gracious and he worked it out. And they've had a really powerful ministry for over 30 years now. Third, empower your wife to delegate because she is highly capable. Grab your pens, folks. Come on. I want you to remember it later in the week. Your wife does anyway. <laughs> empower your wife to delegate because she is highly capable. Look again at verse 15. This is awesome. I know the dudes love the first half of this verse. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. Yay! See, honey, I have a Bible verse. You should make the eggs and bacon, not me. And plans the day's work for her servant girls. Huh. Okay, so just in verse 15, which part does she do herself? Talk to me. Breakfast. Apparently she's a good cook. That's awesome. Maybe there's an equipping, there's a multiplying to it because all her servant girls are about to wake up and she wants to send them to work. So feed them and get them to work. So there's a multiplying effect to what she's chosen to do herself. And, and what part does she not do herself? Huh? It doesn't even say. Multiple, what we would call staff. This is a wealthy family, household servants, the cleaning crew, 
the kitchen, you know, the, you guys are working out in the fields and you guys work with the cattle. We're running this farm that takes 20 adults to make it work. And she's the lady of the house who gives the orders. She's administrating a large staff inside her own home. Does she do it all? Say no. Okay. If you grew up in church, you might have, we've gone too many times through Proverbs 31 acting like this woman does it all. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She delegates. Christian husbands, don't give your wife grief when your wife delegates something. Do not give your wife grief. Maybe in your family, your wife's a better cook, and she's got this going on, and she's got this going on, and she's she got this going on. So she calls one of the household servants called DoorDash. <laughs> she has a verse. Maybe in your household, let's, let's switch it. Maybe, husband, you have said, I'm going to take care of the lawn care. I'm going to trim the bushes. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. But you've got this going on, and you've got that going on, and you've got this going on. Ladies, it's okay for him to call one of the household servants and hire somebody to cut the grass. It's okay. Do you know why delegation is so beautiful and so powerful? I'm glad you asked. It allows a person to prioritize what God has uniquely chosen them to do. So, is there somebody outside of the marriage, a husband and wife, is there somebody outside of the marriage who could clean the house without violating any Bible verses? Yes or no? Could somebody else clean that house without violating Bible verses? right? Hey, could somebody spend one-on-one time connecting with, being best friend to, going after the heart of his wife? Can somebody do that other than the husband without violating Bible verses? No. Can somebody cut the grass who's not in that marriage without violating Bible verses? Yes or no? Yes, somebody could cut grass. Can somebody dive in and raise my kid, connect with my child, disciple my child, help him or her love Jesus more and more on the day-to-day? Can somebody else do that in a long-term systemic fashion outside of the marriage without violating Bible verses? The answer is a resounding no. I don't care how much you love Kids Adventure. Kids Adventure is a supplement and an encouragement to parents. Amen? Grandparents, you've got a, a, if you've got voice in your grandchild's life, Kids Adventure is a supplement and an encouragement to you. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, What might have been astounding to the other rabbis was how much stuff he told his disciples they could do. He even at one point told them, you will do greater things than this. So none of that proud, 
well, I'm kind of the lid. I'm the most awesome because I'm the rabbi and you guys are all, you're all going to be great, but you're never going to be quite as great as me. I, I, Jesus didn't talk that way. In fact, he said, man, you want me to leave. That's how I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you. You guys are going to be fine without me. You won't be fine without my spirit, but you'll be fine without me. He handed off to the 12 and then to the 72 and then to the entire church. He handed off the proclaiming of the gospel, being a community that illustrates that gospel, loving, serving, the prophetic ministry, healing, service, prayer, like all of these things. He hands them off. Even though he started off by teaching them, exemplifying them, he handed them off. You know what he did not hand off? Betrayal. False accusation. Slander. Abuse. Crucifixion. Mockery. Death. And satisfying the wrath of God. And he didn't delegate resurrection either. He did those things himself. And then he commissioned his church because he was the only one with the authority to do it. Go make disciples of all nations. The ultimate bridegroom has delegated lots to his bride. That's what I'm trying to get across. And the more we read scripture, the more we should blush or even be a little bit scared at how much Christ has handed to his church. You guys go do it. It's going to be fine. Go do what only you can do. What can only the church do? We are the only people that carries the message of who Jesus is, redeeming and saving the world. We're the, we're the only people group that has that message. We're the only group that can love each other and love the world to illustrate that message. There are things that only we can do. Husbands and wives, you know there are things that only you guys can do, and there are lots of things that other people can do. There are things that other people can do. Husbands and wives, don't nitpick each other. When your spouse is above the line, their capacity is here, and there are three more, four more tasks on top of that, let them outsource something. Maybe you can pick it up yourself to serve them and love them. If you aren't able to, outsource it. And if right now you're thinking about money, I understand. Sometimes it's the family of faith that needs to come in and help and serve. Not just hiring somebody. Let your spouse delegate. It's how they're going to make it. That's how they're going to fit 26 hours of work into a 24-hour day. Fourth, Christian men, entrust your wife with money. She can handle financial matters. Entrust your wife with money. Don't, don't be a control freak. Look at verses 16, 18, and 21. She goes to inspect a field and checks with her husband, and they talk about it, and then she buys the field. Is that what verse 16 says? Did you guys close your Bibles on me? 
I'm reading Bible verses wrong so that you guys will fact check me. I need you to be ready. Okay, everyone who's my age and younger, I know this is scary. She didn't have a phone to text her husband when she was out checking out the real estate. Do you think it's fair to assume that this is, from all the respect you see in the passage, do you think it's fair to assume that they talk about finances and are connected to each other and trust each other? I think that's fair to assume. She's buying real estate for the purpose of planting a vineyard. She started a business and comes home and tells her husband about it over dinner. Guys, that's awesome. If that scares you, you're a control freak. That's awesome. Not just because she's capable, because look at the trust in the marriage. They trust each other. This is beautiful. The world is hungering for this kind of stuff. This couple doesn't need a prenup. Look at verse 18. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. She knows how to make money. She knows, ah, that's not going to be very profitable. I'll spend my time somewhere else. Verse 21. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. There's a provision. She's able to consider and take care of everybody in the home. So there's no fear. There's a boldness. There's a faith. Things are going to be okay. Christian husbands, entrust your wife with money. She knows what she's doing. Ask this. Can my wife make a $100,000 decision without me freaking out? Because of the text message, honestly, even because of the telephone, or even the telegraph. Let's go before telegraph. You're five days horse ride away from where your spouse is. You're on a business trip. And if you... If you wrote a letter, it would take at least that long to get to your spouse. If your wife needs to make a $100,000 decision, now $100,000 is a lot of money 150 years ago, so this illustration breaks down. But anyway, can she make that decision without me freaking out? It's hard to imagine a world where we couldn't connect and couldn't talk, but I think it's still good for the soul to ask ourselves. It's an introspection. Another important question for both partners. Do we work to approach our finances as a team? Dave Ramsey says that from his anecdotal studies, he finds out that couples across the U.S., and this may be just an interesting fact about how the brain works, perhaps, he said 80% of the families he talks to, the wife handles the week-to-week and month-to-month budget. She likes the flow in and flow out and managing details. And 80% of the families he talks to, the man likes handling long-term stuff like insurance. He's thinking about a 30-year term policy. He's thinking about the kids' college. He's thinking about retirement. He's thinking about when do we pay off the mortgage. And that's just a, a rule of thumb. Again, it was only 80%. But that's functioning as a team. If one person's brain and skills are better at short-term stuff, praise the Lord. Let them do what they're good at. If somebody's brain works better with long-term stuff, praise the Lord. Embrace your spouse as a gift is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. 
And whether you're a man or a woman, if you're good at all of finance and your spouse is terrible at finance and you really do have to do all of the money, at least please keep communication open so your spouse knows how things are going. My, my grandfather died in 1991 of prostate cancer and he was an incredible wage earner and he never taught my grandmother about money. So when he died, she was on her own. If you're really, really good with money and you need to handle it all, fine. Teach your spouse at least the basics. They might not always have you. Teach them at least the basics. How cool is the Nordstrom Employee Handbook? It's 75 words. And the part that gets quoted all the time is that we only have one rule here. Use good judgment at all times. That's the handbook. And when you ask people that are high up in Nordstrom, how can you get away with having a handbook that's so short? They said, well, we wouldn't have hired them if they didn't have good judgment and good character. We made that decision up front. So since we know we've got good people, we don't need to have a ton of rules and boundaries. Fellas, if God has given you a godly wife, if you dated carefully, if you married carefully, don't be a jerk about money. Don't nitpick her. Don't breathe down her neck. Don't criticize her decisions. Where there's disagreement, you guys can talk about it as grown adults who love each other and respect each other and are pursuing oneness and pursuing intimacy. Now the cows. And then we got to get out of here because I'm going long. Some of you guys might be concerned. You've been, your, your heart rate has gone up and there's been a, a vein pulsing in your neck during this entire sermon. Because you've been taught this entire te- this text your entire life to go, well, that's an ideal woman, but I'm married to. And that's a little bit fair. Maybe your wife is not good with money. Maybe she's not. Not everybody can be good at everything. And so you don't like some of this sermon. You don't want to trust in an area where trust has been broken. Okay, that's fair. Still dialogue, still listening, still tenderness. There's a story of a man who lived on a Pacific island where it was the normal custom to pay a bride price in number of cows. And if a bride was mean and cranky and poor manners and nobody liked her, you'd maybe give her father one cow to marry her. The average bride would maybe you'd give her father two cows, but if she was particularly smart and beautiful and wise and well-respected in the community, maybe, just maybe, you'd pay three cows for this bride. And a man, young man, uh, really loved this young woman that nobody else liked her. She didn't get along with others. Um, People made fun of her. The father thought, man, I'm going to have to give her away. I'm not even going to get one cow. This young man loved her so much, he insisted on paying eight cows to marry her. 
And in their tradition, the newlywed couple would go away for an entire year on honeymoon. They'd build a little raft and they would sail around to different islands just to be together, to grow in oneness. And when they came back from their honeymoon, the wife, they thought the sun was rising because she was so radiant. She was a person who was full of love, who was full of joy. She was so beautiful. She was so kind. The whole village was turned upside down. What's going on here? We, we knew her a year ago. How has she been so completely transformed? And her husband said, I told her her value when I paid eight cows for her. Some of you guys, uh, a wife can be a little bit like a garden. If you're complaining that the tomatoes aren't very good, and if you're complaining that there are weeds, and if you're complaining that there's not enough water, and you take your garden and present it before Christ, what's Christ going to say to you, husband? Well, you're the gardener. Brothers who are married, brothers who hope to be married one day. Your wife will blossom and flourish under your joyful, glad, humble, loving leadership of her. Start off by paying eight cows. Start the relationship there. You're not here making your demands going, I I demand and must have and must receive a Proverbs 31 woman. You're here to create one. That's what stewardship is. Create a Proverbs 31 woman. Tell her how lovely she is. Tell her how precious she is. Tell her how wise she is. Work together. You guys both, yeah, she has weaknesses, so do you. So do you. Work together as a team. Because some of us, what do we want one day? This is what we want. I want Emily to still want a kiss when we're 100. Christian men, I think you want the same thing. Christian wives, I think you want the same thing. Holy Spirit, would you please fill us right now? Lord, I believe that there are so many dark things that are attacking marriage at all times, attacking our definitions, attacking your lordship, attacking the preciousness and value of our bride, (sighs) crippling young single men in pornography to train wreck their marriage before it even happens. God, we need you. We need you. We pray not only with desperation, but with joy, because we believe that you say yes to requests like this. God, make our marriages to shine like the sun and give you glory. 
Make the men not judging of each other and condemning each other, but gently and firmly calling each other out. How are you caring for your garden, Christian man? How many cows are you paying for your wife, Christian man? Help us to encourage each other, God. Oh, we need you. Oh, we can't do it on our own. We pray this in the beautiful name of the ultimate bridegroom, Jesus Christ, God's people said.